All right, folks, what I'd like you to do right now is, is I'd like you to turn in your New Testaments to Colossians, the letter to the Colossians in the New Testament. So if you open up your New Testament, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you have the book of Acts, then you have Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. We're in chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 18. Now, I just want to remind you why we're going through Colossians right now, because, you know, we are, we're in an interesting time where a lot of people really don't know what the scripture says anymore as far as what their guidance is for life. In fact, can I be honest with you, a lot of people are guided more by what someone says about the Bible than what the Bible says itself. Or they're guided more by what the current trend is in Christian circles on Facebook and what this saying is or whatever than by what it says. And it's not very common, uncommon to hear people say these days, well, doesn't it say in the Bible? That, that's really not a good thing to say. Doesn't it say in the Bible? And, and what ends up happening is, is that a lot of people are guided in a lot of error and confusion. And that's why we've been going through Colossians. Colossians was really on the heart of the Apostle Paul. He did not start this church. This actually was started by folks who were from another ministry that he had started. And he was just as concerned for them because they had allowed people to come in and, and deceive them concerning who the reality of Jesus is and the reality of the relationship that we can have in so many ways. And so this book is really, this letter is addressing errors and trying to help guide them into their life with Christ. And, and really, so we want to focus on our life with Christ through this. And so as we've been going through Colossians chapter 1, we've been seeing the reality of our faith that really what's most important, we saw this in verses 3 and 4, is our faith in Christ. And that's not just simple belief, but our commitment, our trust in him, and our love for the brethren. And then we saw many things through that up to the point where we're at now in verse 15 about what Christ has done for us. But now we're going to get to the point where we're going to address a real major issue. And that's who Jesus is. Who is he? And you say, well, I know who he is. I've already got it in my mind who he is. Yeah, I understand that. But right now, can I be honest with you? We live in confusion about who he is. There's confusion. And, and I've got two points that I want to make here, two points that will help guide you in your thoughts here. And, and, and the first one is this. We live in a time where there are conflicting ideas about Jesus. Conflicting ideas about who Jesus is and what Jesus will do in your life. And they're very prevalent right now in the church. People have a, can I be honest with you, sometimes weird concepts about who Jesus is. Or they downplay who Jesus is. They're actually influenced more by media, social media, or, 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 or television, or whatnot, or even literature of this time concerning who the reality of Jesus is. And so that really affects how they live their lives. And I'll explain that in a moment. Now, what do you mean by 
confusing, conflicting ideas. Well, in, in some sense, there's the reality that's being conveyed in our world today that Jesus is just some tragic figure from history. Nice guy, got a raw deal, ended up being executed by the Romans. Some people deny that he is God. Some people have a concept that God, he is God, but he's there to do whatever he, he, he did you want him to do. He's, he's kind of the blessing factory for you. Just need, simply need to ask and he'll do it. And then you get frustrated when he doesn't. So there must be something wrong with you. You don't have enough faith because he's just waiting to bless you. Got all of these conflicting ideas about who Jesus is. Now, here's the problem with the conflicting ideas. Here's what I was saying earlier that I was going to help you to understand. When you talk about having a relationship with someone, the basis for any relationship is getting to know the other person. That's why you spend time with each other, is that you get to know them and you increase in your understanding of them. Now, the problem is, is for many believers, many Christians, they have a concept of Jesus dying on the cross. They know that one day he's going to come back, but that's about it. They don't have any more of an understanding about how he interacts in their lives and the things that he's teaching them because it never has entered into their mind. And so their concepts of Jesus, well, maybe it's something they read in the Bible, but a lot of times it's because somebody has shared something with them. And so here's the thing. They see Jesus as waiting to zap them or punish them for whatever they do wrong. Or Jesus is the exact opposite. Jesus is the permissible Jesus. Jesus will let me do whatever I want. Two extremes. Conflicting ideas. So here's what ends up happening. Here's the second point I want you to see. Is that there is a tendency to see Jesus in light of our own thinking about him. You and I have that tendency to create a Jesus in our mind in light of our own thinking about him. We, we, in fact, that's not new. You see it in the Gospels. When they talked about the Messiah, all of the disciples had a concept of who Jesus was and what he should be, and when Jesus pointed out something differently, then they kind of got into a, well, I'll give you an example. Jesus says, I'm going to die. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. That blew the disciples' mind because they thought they're going to Jerusalem and Jesus is going to establish the kingdom. And so Jesus, Peter says, wait a minute, now that he rebukes Jesus and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me because you're wanting what you want, not what God wants. See, this is the reality. We have a tendency to see Jesus in our in our own in light of our own thinking of what we want him to be. And that's why, can I be honest with you, a lot of us get disappointed because we can't allow it to enter into our minds that maybe God has a different plan than us, for us or for whatever situation we're in. And that's kind of like where it comes out of the passage in Matthew that's kind of where John the Baptist was when he was sitting in prison and he sent his disciples to, to go to Jesus and say, are you the one or do we look for another? Because Jesus wasn't, quote, acting the way he thought he should be and why is he in prison? And then, you know, of course, Jesus says, go and tell John what you see. And the last thing he says there is, 
Blessed is he who's not offended at me. Offended because of me. See, we develop our own ideas. And I think that's why we get to verse 15 through 18 and Paul to the Colossians because he wants to answer their faulty thinking about who Jesus is, which, by the way, in their day, they had this concept of Jesus because they were enveloping some Gnostic thinking were physical things, flesh, everything is evil, but the spiritual is good. They had a hard time truly comprehending that Jesus was human. And he's coming along and he wants to tell them the reality of who Jesus is. So that's what we're going to see in this passage. And we're going to see some things about who he is. And you've got to grasp it. It will impact you as you understand who he is. It'll change your relationship with him. So let's look at this together. So if you'll notice with me on the screen, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Here's what Paul writes concerning Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Preeminence. This is a powerful creedal statement. In fact, part of it, scholars believe, was a song that the church used to sing. Think about that. Music back then was a adoration of who Jesus is. They were creedal statements that they would sing to one another to affirm truth. And, and what they needed to be affirmed of is who they are. And folks, what we need to be affirmed of is who Jesus is. See, it is so important that you and I have the right concept of God. Why, why do we need that? Because, listen, folks, I've already mentioned it to you. We, we talked about it earlier before our prayer time. And that is, is that things don't go right in our lives. Things don't go right. Things are so out of our control. Like, I mean, who would have ever thought back a year ago that we would be dealing with COVID or the economic crisis or whatever situation you're in right now? Nobody, nobody enters into a year thinking it's going to be that way. And then here we are, we're in the midst of it, and you're in the midst of whatever you're going through and you've got to have a great concept of who your God is because if you don't, then you are shaken. And a lot of people are shaken right now. Shaken in their faith concerning who the Lord is and what he does. And so you need to grasp the reality of who he is. You need to grasp the reality that he is God. Jesus is not just some figure from history. He's God in human flesh. And that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see six things that I think are very important. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to also see some other scriptures that reinforce what we're talking about here. 
So let's take a look at the first one. We see it in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So here's the first thing I want you to see here is that, first of all, Jesus is the visible expression of God. Jesus is the visible expression of God. So when you see Jesus, you see God. Have you ever wondered what God is like? Have you ever wondered what kind of being is the God of the universe and how does he interact with us? Folks, all you need to do is look at Jesus. You want to know how he interacts with us? Read the Gospels. Read the story and see how he interacted with people. See how he interacted with sinners. See how he responded to them concerning their sin. See how Jesus acted toward them and you'll know how he'll act towards you. Because so many of us have a wrong concept. We think God's ready to just blow us apart because of the things in our lives. He's not patient with us. Folks, holy moly, think about it for a moment. Think about how patient he was with his disciples. Because they didn't get it. You know, they didn't really get it until after he was rose from the dead. And even as he was ascended, they still doubted. This is the reality of who Jesus is. He is the visible expression of God. In fact, as you think about it, think back with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, there was a question that was being asked of him by one of the disciples. Look at verses 8 and 9. It'll be up on your screen. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? See, Philip's asking that great question. God, show us who God is. Show us who he is, and that'll be just enough for us, just to see who God is. Oh, that sounds real spirit. Just, Lord, just show me who you are, and that'll be good for me. And he says, hey, have I, have I not been with you long enough that you would ask a question like that, Jesus is saying? When you see me, you see God. Isn't that awesome? We say, you know, I've been, oh God, would you just show yourself to me? Look, he has. Read the Gospels and see who he is in the person of Jesus. He is the visible expression of God. The next thing he says there in, in verse 15 is that he's firstborn over creation. Now that, that's kind of crazy. What do you mean the firstborn, George? What, what kind of expression is that? Well, it's an ancient expression and it has meaning. It's basically Jesus is supreme over all creation. When it talks about being firstborn here, it's not talking about his being created. Rather, it's talking about his position. So, for instance, in any family throughout history, 
especially in Jewish culture, the firstborn of the house held a, well, can I say this? An assumed position of supremacy. Just ask any family. You can even ask my kids about the firstborn versus everyone else. In fact, ask anyone who is lower down the totem pole what they think about the firstborn and how the firstborn carries themselves. I mean, that's the reality. It's talking about supremacy here. It's talking about position. It's talking about who they are. And Jesus is supreme over all creation. In fact, that's what is reflected in Psalm 89, verse 27, where the Father is talking about the Messiah. And here's what the psalmist writes, Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It's talking about his supremacy here. So think about that. Let's stop for a moment. When we're trying to understand our relationship with God and we're trying to understand the relationship of who Jesus is and what that means that you and I have the relationship with him, we've seen two things here now. Here's the first one. When I see Jesus, I see God. He is the visible expression of God. That's who I'm talking to. I'm talking to God. And second of all, he is supreme over all creation. There's no one else like him. He's it. He's the head, the top. That's what you and I need to grasp. So that brings us to our third point now. Look with me. Verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Here's what I want you to see right now. Notice now, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. So when you understand the reality that he is supreme, it's also telling you here, Paul's also letting you know that he's the creator. Everything exists because of Jesus and everything exists because of Jesus and for Jesus. See, when you grasp that reality, you understand how human history is going. You understand how the events that are happening around you are going because everything is moving to one point. What's that one point, folks? Jesus coming back. It's all about Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he's the creator. It was created for him. It was created by him and for him. In fact, listen to what John says in John chapter 1, verse 3, in the, in the beginning part of, of his gospel. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing was made that was made. He is the one that why everything exists. Now, when he created it, it was perfect, but sin entered in through man, through you and I, and we have corrupted it. But he's the one who made this world. He made you. He made you and I. He knew you before you were even formed in the womb. That's who Jesus is. The creator. So think about that for a moment. You're going through something. Going through a difficulty and you're wondering, can he handle it? 
Can the guy who made everything handle it? Yes, he can, because he's the creator. He's the creator. And it comes up, here, here's the next thing I want you to see here, is that he's not just the creator. Look at what verse 17 says. Verse 17 in Colossians says this. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. What's he talking about there? Well, here's the reality. Jesus is the sustainer of all life. He is the one who sustains us. It is through him that all things exist. If he wasn't there, nothing would exist. He is sustaining all life. In fact, that's the point Paul was making when he was speaking to the philosophers of its day in Athens. Remember, he said this in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Look at what he says. Be on your screen. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. Everything exists because of Jesus. He's the one who sustains life. Now listen, I'm telling you something. You've got to grasp this. Maybe your week has not gone the way that you wanted it to go. You had a plan that this was going to take place, and you thought this was going to happen, and it didn't happen. Folks, it didn't happen that way for a lot of people. Listen to me. He didn't get off the throne. He was never not in control. You've got to grasp that point. Jesus has always been in control. He is the sustainer of all things. It's just that sometimes what his plan is and where it's going with him is different than our plans and what needs to happen. Not he conformed to us because that's getting back to the confusion thing, isn't it? We want a God who is created in our thinking. But no, no, we need to conform how we are to him. And we say, okay, Lord, it's not going the way I want it, but I'm going to rest in you because you are the one who is in control. You are the creator. You are the sustainer of life. That's where you need to be. That's the reality of who Jesus is. That's the reality of who Jesus is that you have a relationship with because he died on the cross for you. Because he died on the cross for you. That brings us now to verse 18 where we're going to see the last two things about who Jesus is, okay? The last two things about who Jesus is. Look with me at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. All right, we're going to see two things here. First of all, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Okay, so Kerwinsville Christian Church, church family, listen to me. Those of you who are, are from outside our church family, you go somewhere else, listen to me. It is not the pastor who is the leader of your church. Yes, he has a role. Yes, he serves in a role of leadership. But he's not the leader. The leader is Jesus. He's the head of the church. Somebody else may say that the church needs them to exist. No, listen, no, no, you don't understand. Jesus is the head of the church. You exist because Jesus wants you to exist, and nothing can take that away. Nothing. 
He's the head of the church. And so when we as a church are trying to decide what should we do or what direction should we go in or, or how should we minister in our community or how should we reach out to people who need Jesus, we don't try to sit around and say, okay, let's see if we got the brain power. Are we having a big brain moment trying to figure this out? Because you're not going to figure it out. You need to go by prayer. We need to, as leaders in our church, we need to, as people in our church, go to him in prayer and say, God, you're the head of our church. What do we need to do? How do we need to do it? Would you give us the resources to do it? You are the head of the church. And we bow to you. It's what you want, Jesus, not what we want. Because look, I'm going to be honest with you. We can come up with our own concept of what we want for church. But I'm going to, again, I'm just going to remind you, sometimes what God wants is different than what we want. And it comes down to an issue, and I think that's what, are we going to bow to knee to who he is and what he wants? And he is the head of the church. We need to acknowledge that. Here's the second thing I want you to see from this verse. He is the first one to experience the resurrection. That's what he means there in verse 18 when he says, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. You say, well, wait a minute, George, I've read my Bible. There were other people who were raised from the dead. Well, remember Elijah raised the widow's son? Well, don't you remember Elisha did the same thing? Don't you remember Jesus raised these people in the gospel? Yes, but I'm going to be honest with you. They all died again. Yes, they were raised to life, but they all died again. But the resurrection is something different. That's being raised from the dead and being glorified into who you shall be and who he is. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't the same anymore. How do you know he wasn't the same anymore? He passed through walls, peer in the midst of them. But yet they could still touch him and, and see the scars in his side and in his hands. But he was different. He was glorified. And when you and I are resurrected, we will receive new bodies. Peter says we will cast off these tabernacles and assume glory, a new body. And, and how do I know that will take place? Because he is the first one to experience it. There's a resurrection because he was resurrected. And so what is the significance of that for my life? That's our hope. So, okay, you're struggling with who you are and you've had revealed to you some things about who you are that needs to change. You're struggling with your health issues and your body is wearing down. Look, folks, our bodies are wearing down. Well, now I'm young. I'm a, yeah, but you're going to get old and it wears down. The reality is, listen to me, the hope that we have for the future is because of Jesus he's the first one to experience the resurrection. So listen, these are six awesome things about who he is that needs to be corrected in our thinking. He's not some sad figure from history. He's God. He is the visible expression of God. When you see him, you see God. He is the creator. He's the preeminent one. He is the sustainer of life. He's the head of the church. He's the first one to experience the resurrection, which is our hope. Now you say, okay, George, what, what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? 
Well, it's the point that I've been making to you for the last few weeks. If you need to, write this down. This is something you really need to think about. You have to decide to get serious about your relationship with Jesus. You have to get serious. Why do I say that? Well, I'll be honest with you. A lot of times we're not serious. A lot of times, well, you know, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, and we just go on and do our own thing, but we don't really give it any more thought. No, no, you have entered into a relationship with the God of the universe, with Jesus Christ, with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. You have entered into this relationship, and it's the reality that he would take time to have a relationship with you because he saved you requires that you take that seriously. Don't take it for granted. So many of us take it for granted. Then we get disappointed because we're like, why didn't he do this for me? Well, if you had spent some time with him, if you've gotten to know him, if you have allowed him to cultivate that relationship with you, you would understand. Doesn't mean it would go better for you. No, he's already told you that it's going to be hard here. But your hope is with him. He's the one who gives you strength to get through it. But you and I have to get serious about our relationship with Jesus. Do you understand? We've got to get serious about Christ. And you know where you're at on that. I know where I'm at on that. You know how serious you are about Jesus. And so you've got to ask yourself the question. And, and can I be honest with you? It's more than just saying, oh, well, you know, I'm serious about Jesus. No, no. It's reflected in how you live your life. Well, do you mean I need to get rid No, no. And how much time you make for him. How much time you communicate with him. That's how you know you're getting serious. And so the bottom line is, with all of this, you have to get serious. So maybe you've got to change some of your thinking. Because you have have a concept of Jesus that comes out of your own thinking rather than the reality of who he is in the scripture. So you need to change that and start getting serious about a relationship with the Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus of TV or somebody else. But you got to get serious. And so that's the reality for you and I. That's what we want. And I, I'm telling you, as you get to know him, it'll change your life. It will change your life. May that change happen. Let me pray for you.